this um, this session is going to be um, I, it, it suits greatly that we're a smaller group because I think it's better as a discussion a conversation. Um, I think um, most of you will remember. I, I, I'm presuming. Uh, I know you're all younger or as young as I am, but uh, um, but I'm sure some of you will remember the days of the evangelist with the tent, the marquee. Um, any of you remember Dick Saunders? Anybody go yes. to Dick Saunders meetings back in the day? Listen to him on the radio. Yes, yes, his radio program was oh, still being broadcast. Oh, yes, we went to home, we went to home. Is it, the, the impact was amazing of, of Dick Saunders because um, the day before his funeral, Roger Childers, one of the county's workers, who some will know, Roger was um, preaching at Ladyfield Evangelical Church in Chippenham, and Dick had done a big mission, I think maybe a couple of missions in Chippenham. But back in the 1970s, and Roger Childers uh, asked the congregation, I guess there were about 45, 50 there at Lady Fee that Sunday, um, just three or four weeks ago, and Roger said, did anyone here come to faith during the Dick Saunders uh, rallies? Mm -hmm. And there were a dozen people putting their hands up mm -hmm. in that congregation, you know, and that's, that's quite some time ago. And I think Bob said, he was he was preaching down in this neck of the woods, I don't know exactly where it was, um, but he said there were about half a dozen in that group as well who yeah. um, come to Christ at that point. So, that's, hey, yeah. Yeah, right. Good to see you. No, that's fine. Good to see you. The, no, this one's free. That one's well, come and, well, sit, come well. and sit. Yeah, these are for those who want to post yeah. lunch now. This was an elite. Not the elite. Now you can see who's here and you know it's not. <laughs> um, but now, if you put a marquee up, uh, well, I remember in, in 1993. We uh, did a tent mission in Hereford on Newton Farm. We are talking about Newton Farm. So we, we eventually planted a church that was on the back of uh, Barton Christian Fellowship, Barton Hall. We are doing children's work on the housing estate. And in 1996, we launched it as a church plan. But in 1993, we, we put a tent up. And uh, on the third day or second day, we had to pull it down because we hadn't got enough security. We hadn't, you know, kids were climbing all over it. They were wrecking it. It was Bob Telford's tent. He doesn't know how close it got to being ruined, but anyway, it was it was one of one of the county's tents. It was Bob's tent, and um, I guess we went through a period of thinking. Well, maybe maybe those days are gone, and I'm, I'm actually my my heart is with Bob saying, but maybe they're not. A couple of illustrations. A few years later, we put the tent up again on Newton Farm. This time, we put security fencing around. We ran a whole load of different events, and um, for for a ten day mission, every event was packed, and packed with non Christians coming along to a concert, music night, youth night, after school clubs. We ran on three afternoons. Um, now that was still the late nineties, right up to date. Victor Jack, who I mentioned when I was preaching earlier, Victor's son Graham is involved in a church plant. Victor supporting him over at Bury St Edmunds. So from the, 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 the parent church where Victor is involved in. And uh, they put a, they uh, are planting on some housing estates. And they they were so sure that the response for the carol service invitation was going to be large. They hadn't got a big enough building on the estates to run the carol service. So they hired a marquee. They got a marquee. 
They got one, they pay for the flooring that you can get, they pay for heating, and they fill it with 400 people. Um, back in October, November, there was a mission in Cardiff that uh, some of the uh, churches in Cardiff got involved in, and Show Jesus, I chair the trust of Show Jesus, mm-hmm. we, uh, we loaned them a marquee, and they had events most nights with three to 400 mm-hmm. coming to hear the gospel, and many of them committing their lives to Christ. So, so certainly the day, the day of those um, gospel missions are not over, <coughs> but we're not all in that environment, are we? Mm-hmm. We're all struggling to get people to come along to a local service, um, to a gospel service, a family service, and I reach them. So that's that's the kind of area I want us to discuss and think about. How do we engage, and how does the work of the evangelist, whether they be a county's evangelist or someone else, help us to do that? So let me just pray, and then we'll start. Father, we want to thank you for, uh, Lord, we've, we've talked about it already, the power of the gospel. And Lord, we we confess, we do believe still today in this day of brokenness and of people having turned their backs on the living God, we still believe that the gospel is the power to change the lives of those who believe. And Father, we believe the scriptures when they say that God is not willing that anyone should perish. So Lord, we pray that you would help us to think through to contemplate, to discuss, and to move forward perhaps in our understanding about how we re-engage with evangelists and in evangelism, the work of the gospel in our nation, in our area, in our times, villages and cities. And Lord, we ask that you would lead us in our thinking at this time, Lord, in Jesus' name. Amen. Just uh, give us... Okay, so um, I, I'll skip through some of this, and I, I don't really want to talk to the screen. I will, I will turn around and um, uh, uh, let's let's have it as a discussion. The role of the evangelist. So we've talked about that evangelist. Um, Ephesians four eleven. Um, the work of the evangelist is explained in that passage, Ephesians 4.11 says, So Christ gave himself, uh, uh, Christ himself gave the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, the pastors and teachers to equip his people for works of service so that the body of Christ might be built up until we all reach unity in the faith and in the knowledge of the Son of God and become mature, attaining to the whole measure of the fullness of Christ. So according to that verse, what's the role of the evangelist? To equip. Okay, so with those other gifts, the role of the evangelist is to equip. Um, when we lived in an era of whether it was in the gospel halls or whether your background in it is in another church background, we came through an era, uh, the Billy Graham uh, Haringey missions, and right through, I suppose, more or less until the 1980s, till the Mission England. There was an era of growth within the evangelical world. 
There was a flourishing. There were, for example, in the Church of England after the Harringay mission, after the London mission, and you know you had the rising up of many evangelicals within the Church of England. For example, the Anglican Church was not an evangelical place in the first half of the 20th century, um, and so the preaching of the gospel was was very central to the life of the church. And I think we've, we've presumed in some ways that, well, the evangelist is the, the person we invite when we want someone to preach the gospel. I believe that is part of the role, but it's not what's defined us here. It's all of it. It's all of Yeah, so it's equipping the whole church to do works of service. Um, I don't know what you think about apostles or prophets. I was brought up in a, in a local church culture where we said, well, those were the um, foundational ministries that are gone uh, after the uh, completion of the New Testament. I think with a small A, though, they do exist in some way. There isn't, you know, even in, as I grew up, there were preachers, Bible teachers, Albert Lecky, Jack Hunter, these names mm -hmm. you remember some of these? Yeah. They, they had an apostolic ministry. They had an apostolic ministry. People looked to them for leadership in a group of churches, not just in the local church. So that, that's apostolic. I don't mean it in the sense of the Apostle Paul. Prophetic, of course, is speaking God's word for the moment, not just forth, uh, foretelling, but foretelling. And sometimes you listen to a preacher and you sense God speaking to your heart right at this moment. It's prophetic in its application. But I, I think taken together, those gifts are for what they say, to equip God's people for works of service so the body might be, um, might be built up. Um, the word evangelist is only used in two other places in the New Testament. Uh, Acts 21 verse 8, uh, leaving the next day, Luke writing, we reached Caesarea and stayed at the house of Philip the evangelist, one of the seven, so one of the seven being chosen in, in early Acts to support the work of the apostles and of course he was the evangelist who preached to the Ethiopian eunuch and was used, greatly used in Samaria as well as there was a, an outpouring of the Spirit. And then the other place is uh, in 2 Timothy, where we might presume from this that Timothy was not an evangelist, but he was encouraged to do the work of an evangelist. You, you could flip it the other right, way around and say, well, he is an evangelist, so he's got to do the work. But I rather think the former. Do the work of an evangelist. Discharge all the duties. Of your ministry. So only three times in the New Testament the word evangelist is used. Does anyone know how many times the word pastor is used? We had it in Ephesians 4.11. The only time. That's it. The only time. So we talk about shepherds, elders, overseers. That's an office. Pastor is a gift, Ephesians 4 11. It's a gift. It's interesting, isn't it, that in the life of the local church, when we appoint, you, you may or may not have a, a full time worker in your church, but often in evangelical circles they're called the pastor. But that's a gift, and the whole of those gifts are needed to equip the church. So, just a question do you think? Our focus on having the pastor as that lead person, the first among equals, or the lead elder, or the appointed paid person. Do you think that has been detrimental to 
to the church, or do you think it's just a word that we don't mean pastor in the Ephesians for them? What, what just, I would like to hear, there's, there's plenty of wisdom in this room. Um, I'd like to hear some of that. I think it's a detrimental. You think it's detrimental? I think the, the, the church begins to depend upon the pastor. Mm -hmm. yeah. Instead of the pastor should be as an evangelist and pastor, mm -hmm. encouraging the church to be yeah. involved. Yeah, thank you. So I'm I'm not suggesting that we shouldn't or couldn't have paid staff in the church. The labor is worthy of worthy of his hire. Yeah. So I have no issue at all with a full time paid person uh, carrying on the ministry and helping give leadership. Yeah. My question is about whether that person is a pastor or should be a pastor in the sense that we have culturally brought ourselves to believe it. What if they were an evangelist? I don't think that we're precise enough, are we, uh, really? Quite often we just use the, the heading pastor, minister, call them what you will, yes. as being the person who is either leading the, the, the uh, fellowship yeah. or, or um, someone who outside recognises being your vicar. That's right. That's right. So outside, those titles are helpful. I was never in Hereford by the congregation called the pastor. I was one of a team of elders. But outside, I was often introduced at school, at school assemblies, as Martin is the pastor of Challenge Community Church. And that was perfectly fine because it was a, a title that mm -hmm. connected with the work. But theologically, in the life of the church, I just, I, I have a a question that we've undermined these other giftings which together equip the body. You know our situation. But we're in a situation where we need not a pastor but an evangelist. Yes. You know? And uh, uh, but, but the evangelist We, we need whoever the Lord would send. Yeah. But the, I see it, the need of the area that we are in is an evangelist. So by and large in our church is the person we, who, who if, if we're able to support someone, <laughs> they need to do the work of the evangelist even if they're gifting their program. That's why I wonder whether I should be in here or in listening <laughs> to Beverly. Well, if, if you're at we, the, April the 5th, you'll have the evening in Cardiff. Yeah, on the we, need, we need somebody. Yeah. Who would be, uh, who would be, encouraging the church to become neighbourhood chaplains? And I think the gifts as well, isn't it? Isn't it lovely? You know, to see Beverly. Many of us are from. I never had a woman on the platform when I was growing up. Beverly's an evangelist. You just saw. Yeah, her. that's yeah. what I said. The we saw and heard that. That's her gift. She's yeah. an evangelist, and you know, so the gifting that God gives is not restricted to gender. I think that's really important. The office of eldership, we may have a, a view on it with regard to how headship works out and whether it's male and husband of one wife. and We could discuss that, but gifting. Yeah, gifting is not restricted. I would say she was a, a pastor as well. Because of the way she's pastoring. Wait, wait, she's so her evangelism it. works in a pastoral pastor way. Yeah. Her evangelism works in a pastoral way. I'd like to see the first verse up again. Yeah, I'll put I, that back up. Because I, I don't think Mm -hmm. Myself, that um, that what there's no way that one of those titles 
fit, do they? And everybody does it all. No, correct. That's and, right. And I've noticed where there's a full-time person, the church thinks, well, we're paying him. He'd better get on with it. Get on and do all, all of that. So, so that's get on and do all of that. That's one. I of think the, that's the challenge for us. So I, I think that's just a really helpful text because it is the text that puts these things in context together. Also, I think uh, it was interesting. I, I quoted from Victor Jack earlier today. Um, uh, Victor preached on that occasion when he shared that testimony about struggling to share his faith. Uh, he preached from Acts 13. And the church at Antioch grew out of personal, spontaneous evangelism. It wasn't a church plant from Jerusalem. They were scattered because of the persecution under Herod in Acts 12. And they started sharing, probably because no one told them they weren't supposed to share with the non-Jews. They shared with the Greeks, with the Gentiles. God saved them. And then the church of Jerusalem sent Barnabas, I guess with apostolic authority, to go and check it out. Is it okay? Is it kosher? Is it, you know? And then, of course, he brought Saul in to support him in that work. So we'll... We'll, we'll move on. Um, so the, the problem of some historic definitions of the word evangelist, so we are focusing on that. This is taken from the International Standard Bible Encyclopedia. Those students who've, who've got a collection of book, Christian books on their shelves will have perhaps a more modern version of this, but um, it's quite a well-known Bible encyclopedia. It will be seen that as an order in the ministry, the evangelist precedes that of the pastor and teacher. A fact which harmonizes with the character of the work each is still recognized as doing. The evangelist has no fixed place of residence, but moves about in different localities, preaching the gospel to those ignorant of it before. As these are converted and united to Jesus Christ by faith, the work of the pastor and teacher begins to instruct them further in the things of Christ and build them up in the faith. Anybody see any problems with that as a definition? Do you think it's okay? Do you agree with it? Or do you think it's a reflection? Do you think it's a reflection of scripture or culture? I think it's becoming it's too um, a little too structured. We we're we're good at uh, wanting to organise yes. things in a way that fits. Yeah. Um, but when we look at what Jesus says, and uh, if we take um, his teaching as a plumb line, mm-hmm. uh, um, then. Um, I think we can see things quite differently. One of the things that he made clear before we went to the cross was that the least among you things are turned upside down. Status wasn't something that uh, was what church structure needs to be about. It was that we are to serve. And his words to Peter was, feed my sheep. And that, um, of course, attaches to the the, you know, the whole idea of shepherding. As with the Old Testament, we know that there's, there's bad shepherds <laughs> and we need good shepherds. And um, he said, let no one call you father or teacher. Status isn't, shouldn't be a part. Shouldn't be. And so the appointing somebody in a secular sense with a salary and interviews that doesn't fit that because the term in the new testament is of eldership eldership doesn't mean older it means maturer experience um it's a relative term 
Well, what's the other thing to do again? And so, um, um, the gifts that are given by Jesus, and, and uh, interesting, the NIV, the new NIV, changes it from the, uh, that he, he rose and he gave gifts to men for the church. That's been changed, and, and there is a big um, gender agenda in yes. our society now, which is... Going to be a which is coming into the church, Absolutely. and we need to be careful of that yes. and, and get get a sensible understanding of things. But um, it's it, it's a, the church and eldership or uh, responsibility in shepherding isn't something that is about position and status. It's about relationships and the gifts that God gives to us. And uh, we can, uh, each of us needs to have some role of evangelism in our own, in our, you know, with yeah, our lives own responsibility and uh, um, the area that God's given to us. Um, that there are gifts to be recognised is important. And there was the appointing of, you know, recognising. That, that's right. I, mean, I think that's that's helpful. I, I, I appreciate that. And I think there is that distinction between eldership and gifting as well. It's interesting in Romans 12, it lists those who have the gift of leadership, the NIV says, should lead diligently. Um, and leadership and eldership are not exactly the same either, you know, I think. And so, so, the, so it's a gift. Um, the, the issue I have with this is that it neatly packages everything up. It says the evangelists will come and they'll do their work and they'll preach the gospel, people get saved, and then in effect you hand them over to the pastor teacher. And that's not how it works, particularly in a very messy world. That is a photograph of 1915, if you like that definition. Yeah. Do, do you think, Martin, that, you know, that concept is a concept that some of us from your and my background yes. have been brought up to sort of see the, the, the apostle and the, the prophet as being foundational gifts that we kind of no longer have. Yes, sure. And the evangelist and the teacher being the teachers of the present time. But all of these gifts are what God provides for the as he needs. As he needs. And I think you will find that in, in, in new situations, in a new church plant, or in a new culture where the gospel is going out, that God uses gifts that we had not yeah, presumed be the, be used. The, the apostle in the form of a missionary going in, in that sense in that yes. apostolic sense so i think yes to not confuse it with that with a capital a and the work of the apostles yes i i, I agree that there is an apostolic sense of calling in that but i think the issue there is that we've separated and many of us probably perhaps all of us in some sense in this room have a view of the evangelist that is a cultural picture not a biblical one Yes. So the evangelist was Dick Saunders, was Billy Graham, was that kind of thing. Now, 100% in agreement with, with Paul. I actually believe the evangelist, there is a place still in Britain today for the proclamation evangelist. In fact, you can't preach a gospel without a proclamation. I, hmm. I wholeheartedly disagree uh, or, or don't believe that, you know, the definition, preach the gospel at all times and if necessary, use words. 
whether Augustine or St. Francis of Assisi or however it's attributed to ever said it or not is not the point. You cannot preach the gospel without using words. You need to proclaim the gospel. It's a message that we proclaim that Christ's death and his resurrection. Um, so there is proclamation. But equally I challenge it on the basis of, and again we've had this image. I, 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 I talk about myself, so please don't feel, I don't want to put on you my own shortcomings or short-sightedness. But I had this view when we started the church plant on, on the back of the work that the Assembly at Barton Hall had done in Hereford. Um, we brought in someone who was more of a pastor teacher, in my view, to work with us, Andy Gibson, a great guy, now serving the Lord at Regent Chapel up in Newcastle upon time. And Andy and I worked very well together, but I thought, you know, well, I'll be the evangelist, so we'll get them in and we'll do Alpha Christian Explorer, we'll see folks saved, and then I'll pass them on to you, and then you do this kind of teach them and equip them, disciple them, and, you know, they'll, we'll have these flourishing disciples as part of the local church. People's lives are far messier than that. And coming back to the pattern of Christ, I, I, um, I like to ask this question, at which point, pick any of the disciples, at which point were they saved? I believe in salvation, I believe in conversion. Solidly evangelical. But at which point were the disciples saved? I'm not necessarily asking, expecting you to answer it, but I just want to raise it as he called them to follow him. And at the beginning in John 1, there's a kind of a following a little bit from a distance. He turns around and he says, what do you want? They said, we want to know where you live. They didn't really know who he was. And he said, come and see. Uh, then I, I, I take it later after he had been introduced at the baptism uh, and, and by John as the Lamb of God, he sees them at their nets and he says, come and follow me. So I think there's been that introduction in John 1. I think there's, there's some knowledge of him now. And now he says, come and follow me. I remember having this conversation with a lady in our, in our church in Hereford, actually the mum of Dave, one of Dave's brothers, Dave, Dave who did the presentation on the school's resources, one of his brothers was away from the Lord, and uh, he'd come back from university, and um, I was teaching this, this concept in our fellowship, and I was asking the same question to our leaders group. So we had, a, we had our eldership, and then we had our wider group of leaders, house group leaders, youth leaders, ladies work leaders, and we had a consultation with them once every quarter to share some vision, do some training, and have some feedback and, and, and help shape where we felt and sensed the Lord was leading us. And I suggested that there are areas within the service of the church, and I choose my words carefully because I could get shot down here as well, there were areas that, that unbelievers could do. And, uh, you know, I said, I mean, we have had people say... Um, uh, people have, have said to us, uh, can, I, can I be on the welcome team on the door? Mm -hmm. Unbelievers. Um, we had people who volunteered. Unbelievers who were coming on Sunday morning. Can I go on the coffee road? I'd love to help. And what do you say? You'd say, well, no, you're not saved. You'd say, yes, okay, and we'll do a little bit of training. What do you do? This comes back to the question, at which point were the disciples saved? Because he called them to follow him, and discipleship is both a moment of conversion and a process of learning who Jesus is. So he asks them, who do people say I am? 
well into the journey. And there were different answers. What about you? Who do you say I am? And then Peter has that revelation. You're the Christ, the Son.